The Eating Liberty Podcast, episode 267. Food and Freedom Once a Week for Life. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here. Welcome back to the show. Today's going to be kind of a short show. A few weeks ago, I told you I had a jar of cucumbers lacto-fermenting. Well, they did and they did not, at least not too well. Turns out, one risk of lacto-fermentation is something called con yeast. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, then you understand why I had a Kirk moment. Of course, it took a bit of digital sleuthing to figure out that that was the thing that I had, and that didn't diminish my Kirk moment. Uh, And yes, it's spelled K-H-A-N. So as yeasts go, it smells like yeast. It puts a white film on the food and can develop into little yeast islands of some interesting colors on the surface of the brine. I had both of those. It's not poison. It is also not delicious. It made the cukes taste like bread, which was a big mental jump since cukes aren't supposed to taste like bread. And it didn't stop. It kept growing. The whole point of lactal fermentation is to keep the good bacteria that are growing. Now, this isn't bad, it is just unpreferred. Cooking the brine with all the stuff in it to stop the yeast would defeat the purpose of the whole thing. I don't know if more salt at that particular point would have made a difference. I opted for the most soul-crushing option, which is to throw the lot of it away. Now, it was only one jar, so there's that. It was also the majority of the bounty of my cucumber harvest, so (laughs) there's that too. Um, So, more salt is this, uh, it's a joke. More salt is the solution next time. I'm going to do this again. I don't think temperature meaning too hot, was the problem because it wasn't too hot for the last couple of weeks or even a couple of months. Uh, June and July would be too hot. So it, it, I think it is entirely a saline problem. So I will put more salt in the brine. And for some reason, lacto-fermented carrots sounds interesting. In keeping with the idea of flavoring liquids, and yes, that is an enormous leap, I'm thinking of infusing a gin with orange zest, cardamom pods, cloves, and maybe vanilla. Now, I don't do, I didn't do booze last year. Uh, I've been making or infusing some kind of an adult beverage for the last several years. The first year I made Kahlua the good way, as distinguished from the fast way or the sweet way. I'll put up a, I, I did put up a blog post at the time I made the recipe. There's enough time remaining in the year to start a Kahlua and have it ready for Christmas parties or Christmas gifts or being selfish. That's not a Christmas thing. Don't be selfish. 
My parents used to make Kahlua, so that was the reason I had the idea. To test the batch, I bought a puny bottle of the most popular brand, and honestly, I can't recall the name, uh, and tasted it side by side. Their commercial Kahlua was as sweet as donut glaze. I couldn't drink it. <laughs> it was obscene. And the, the stuff I made was just, you know, you want your Kahlua to taste like coffee. And boy, howdy, did it ever. It was good stuff. I'm working on a project that includes writing recipes for campers or preppers, which uses or makes dishes with no fresh or frozen foods. The only source of heat is a camp stove or a fire. Now, it is quite a challenge. To add to the challenge, uh, the meals have to be in one pan and one or two prep bowls. Now, all that means everything is canned or jarred, packets are fine, freeze-dried or dehydrated foods, and that's the limit. Now, if you've been through a big megastore for groceries, it's a pretty big limit. The food has to look good, which is mostly up to the cook who makes it, and taste good, which is kind of up to me, accepting the limitations of all the ingredients. Now, all dried spices are available, and that's a lot. So there's something kind of interesting that I'm learning as I'm doing this, and that is, let's use the example of, of dehydrated onions. Now, they really are spectacular in things like ranch dressing or, or chip dip because they will pull the water out of the sour cream, the mayonnaise, the buttermilk, whatever you're using, and have an incredible onion flavor. And the advantage of a dried onion in a dip or a dressing is while the whole thing will eventually go bad, it will take a long time. Whereas if you put fresh onions into a dressing or a dip, it will go bad fairly quickly because fresh does that. So if you reconstitute onions and saute them, trying to get a little color, it sort of kind of works. But the onion flavor, a dried onion flavor and a fresh onion flavor are different. And you can't make dried onions taste like fresh onions. At least I haven't. If you have solved this problem, please do let me know. Uh, it doesn't seem uh, you can go backwards. But that's part of what happens. That's just, I think, how it goes. And that might be uh, a truth for all dehydrated vegetables. Now, a different project was, uh, this one's done and there's another one coming, was to write articles about various fats, particularly lard, tallow, schmaltz, and duck fat. Now, each fat was its own article. Now, it was kind of a, what is, what is lard? Where does it come from? How do I pick the best? What's the shelf life? Can I replace it with something? That's kind of an ask and answer template. So they all had the same basic questions. Um, that was really fun to write, and it was a lot of fun to do reading about. Now, there's much more to the fat debate than most of us know. Uh, even through all of it, it still remains that seed oils are not good for you. Now, the principal reason is oxidation, because that happens pretty rapidly in seed oils. 
I've seen that palm oil isn't good either since it is also processed, but being processed doesn't convey information. Butter is processed. Palm oil might take some more digging into, and almost certainly it is more processed than butter is, um, but I don't know how much more, so I have to find out. Uh, three episodes ago, I talked about magnesium. I've been taking magnesium supplements since then, and I feel better, I think. There are some differences in alertness, meaning I have more, not less, and generally a, a feeling better. I, I don't, <laughs> it's unquantifiable, but in, in, in general betterness. It seems my mood is better, meaning, well, that I'm, that I'm not, that I'm a little bit more even keeled. Now, I'm not certain that is due only to the magnesium. I am deliberately putting effort into managing my responses to my environment that would normally get my blood up. Things that make me joyful and happy and giggle and, and, and be in appreciation, well, that hasn't changed and I'm actually looking for those moments, but I'm also looking to not <laughs> be, be the chef response to uh, negative stimuli. That sounds very official. I'm not that smart. Um, so I don't know if that's magnesium or not. My goal is to stop having those responses. So I'm succeeding at that, and perhaps the magnesium is helping. I can't say for certain, and the only way to determine that is to remove the magnesium, which I'm not going to do. I like this new trait of my personality, so I'm going to keep it. And however it got here is much less important than keeping it. And also about magnesium, since I know the cells really want it. I think my body is more efficient at digesting the food I eat as well. And since it is getting to be holiday season, which means holiday drinks, and so many more things, but holiday drinks, I'll add the link to the episode I did with our friend bartender Phil Cresham about hot toddies. Phil is a wealth of bartending knowledge and should inspire you to create or build or increase a great bar for this holiday season, which for you make-it-at-home types means making your own mixers. And that's really easy to do for different kinds of simple syrups, and you can go just bonkers with flavors. There's so many possibilities. Um, Infusing, infusing your own alcohols with your preferred things. So I mentioned the gin. I'm using an Oregon-based gin, which had, I didn't know, I guess I should have, it should have made sense, that obviously the principal flavor in gin is juniper. Uh, if you don't like juniper, um, I don't know if all gins have that. I haven't really researched that very much. But a lot of the gins now seem to include a whole wide variety of other kinds of 
botanicals or aromatics, which might include fennel, fenugreek, coriander, uh, anise, and just a handful of other ones. And some of them are really just incredible flavors, both on the palate as you're you're letting it sit in your palate and then as it finishes, just a wide range of stuff. So there's a lot of fun things to do with gin and then bolster or either complement or contrast those flavors with your own preferred things and make your own special kind of a uh, mixer, the alcohol part, not the uh, sugar part. And there's probably ways to do so many other things. But it was a it was a fun episode and, and a good way to get into the holiday adult beverage spirit. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Quick and dirty today. I will put those links on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 267. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.